Welcome to the QB List Fantasy Football Podcast. I am Eric Smith. I am joined by Ryan Heath, and this is the Week 6 Sit Start Podcast. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at EricSmithQBL and at QBL Ryan. If you want to see some of our recent conversations lately about um, just kind of what is fantasy football? Can we ever predict it? Does any of this make sense? Uh, Ryan and I, we're just tilted on Taysom Hill and Geno Smith and all these just bizarre players this season. So uh, we've kind of abandoned all analysis. We're just going back to square one and just trying to figure out what this game of fantasy football is. So Ryan, uh, how are you doing? Um, and have you solved fantasy football since the last time we talked? Yeah, I'm in quite the interesting mental space when it comes to fantasy football right now, as you can probably tell. Um, it kind of started from a literal cash lineup winning the Millie Maker this past weekend. Like It, it was just all the chalk, like the jo- Josh Allen stack, had Leonard Fournette in there. It just got me thinking, like, have we solved fantasy football? Like, is this a solvable game? Like, will there ever be a point where we can always make the optimal decisions? And if so, like, how would that change the game? Would would there be another step or would, would it just become kind of like blackjack where you don't really play? You are just right or wrong with whichever move you make. Uh, and, and then you rightfully brought up Taysom Hill. How How can we have solved this game when Taysom Hill just did what he did? Yeah, I sure hope it doesn't get like blackjack. I um I'm always kind of intimidated to even play it because you know, you just you hear stories about people getting yelled at at the table for not following the proper strategy. And I guess we kind of already do that on Twitter with fantasy football. So we, we yell at other people for not following the correct strategy. But yeah, I mean, this year has been bizarre and I don't think we're anywhere close to to solving it. I, I feel like we're seeing these hyper efficient role players at this point, like Taysom Hill, Clyde Edwards Hilaire kind of breaking some of our notions of fantasy football, like they should not be performing this well, but they keep doing it. And I don't know, I hate to like chase my tail here and like pivot and then start ranking them highly only for it to go back to the way we think it should be. So that's always the conundrum for me is it's like, I want to stick to what I believe is the correct process. And then when you do kind of finally cave, uh, it tends to turn back. I think of like uh, Corderell Patterson last year, some of that was injury based, but we were kind of like, wow, he can't keep getting away with this. There's no way this makes sense. Patterson should not be this good. He's a 30 year old running back. And then it took about half the year, but we got there. Yeah, I well, I mean, he came back and got away with it for like two and a half games this year too. So I, I don't know. Maybe there always was something to Cordero Patterson, but yeah, it it is always kind of that back and forth of how much do I stick to my process because that's the point of a process is it is supposed to guide me independent of what the results are. But also, you don't want your process to be completely immovable. Like it, it probably should change eventually if you're presented enough evidence, but it, then it just kind of becomes circular of what amount of evidence do I need to change my process and how can I possibly know what that optimal amount of evidence should be? Well, I, uh, I got blasted by an autoplay ad on Pro Football Reference. So I think that was our, uh, our cue to um, just go ahead and go on to the main segment here. So uh, one of these days we'll figure out fantasy football, but uh, that was the fantasy football gods telling me that, uh, yeah, let's move along here. Um, okay, so we, we decided to get into some run funnel and pass funnel defenses here. Um, kind of a little intro segment. Uh, 
I kind of like to think about some of these outlier performances we get where we see quarterbacks throw for 60 yards or 60 attempts and just these crazy outlier performances and what causes them. And it kind of got me thinking about um, these defenses that are maybe good against the run and poor against the pass and everyone passes on them or vice versa. Maybe they're poor against, you know, there's one way or another it forces the offense's hand and how they're going to play. So Ryan, you did a little research here. You looked into some defenses and maybe how offenses are looking to exploit them. So what did you find? Tell me about the process here. Yeah. So basically I just took each team and looked at their efficiency against the pass versus against the run through the first five weeks. And also the amount of pass volume that they've allowed versus run volume through five weeks. Um, kind of just did some simple calculations, uh, put, put them both together and wrapped it up into one single pass versus run funnel score. Uh, so we can talk about the defenses that are the most extreme pass funnels based on the volume and efficiency they've allowed and also the defenses that are the most extreme run funnels. And if you're interested, I posted this entire chart on Twitter as well, um, if you want to check it out. But I think we're going to start with some of the biggest pass funnels. So number one was Tennessee. Uh, They're on a bye this week, though, so probably not a whole lot to talk about immediately. But good to keep in mind that Tennessee is allowing opposing teams to be very efficient through the air. And teams are passing on them a decent amount as well. Uh, And then more immediately interesting for this week is Baltimore. They are the the second biggest pass funnel. Uh, With the Giants this week, Eric, what what are we doing? This is not a passing game we probably thought we would want to discuss today. But (laughs) I mean, the moment calls for it. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to get there and want to start Daniel Jones when you start throwing in like an an injured ankle and just this conservative nature of the Giants offense. It's really hard for me to pull the trigger on starting Daniel Jones. I'm curious if you'll have him down in the streamer category, but otherwise, all the receivers I want to play here are still injured or on the way back from injury. So I don't know, like you had brought up Darius Slayton, Um, my thoughts in the London game where it was like I was watching that game was like, oh. Darius Slayton's still alive. He's catching passes. That's cool. But I didn't have much of a, much of a take beyond that. So like, do you have a way to talk us into playing Darius Slayton and like maybe a super deep league or a dynasty league where you're hurting with injuries? Yeah. I mean, I've got him ranked as my wide receiver 50 this week. Um, that, that ranking is an assumption that Wandale Robinson and Kadarius Tony will continue to not play. Uh, I, Kadarius Tony has two hamstring injuries, by the way, we think we missed that last week, but wanted to make sure it didn't go unnoticed. He hurt both of his hamstrings. Uh, but as for Slayton, yeah, as you said, he, he was on the field and he was commanding targets, seven targets on a uh, 33% targets per out run that, much better than Marcus Johnson and David Sills, who were the other two players on the field running as many routes as he was. I can see it. I, I picked up Darius Slayton in a few leagues where I'm really desperate for receiver help. He could be an okay spot start this week. I, I don't love it, though. Yeah, and I, I think the thought on the past funnel defenses, though, is really just... Baltimore is a tough defense to run the ball on. And even though the Bengals had a little success last week, like traditionally Baltimore has been tough to run on. So 
New York has to approach this somehow, and it would make sense for them to throw the ball a little more, and they have to throw to somebody. So, yeah, this is super deep league, uh, dynasty stuff, PPR, or, uh, excuse me, DFS. You know, it, it's not not your typical league, but it is worth looking. There's probably a lot of these Giants receivers on the wire, and they may get four more targets than you expect this week. Yeah, and I'll just add on Daniel Jones really quickly. I don't have him as a streamer this week. I, I just can't. Like, their implied totals under 20 points. You, generally, if you're under that, under that, I need to feel good that you're going to put up some rushing production. Daniel Jones has an injured ankle. Um, for some reason, he ran 10 times last week, which <laughs> seems really interesting to me if you're going to if you're playing hurt on a, on a lower body injury. Uh, but on those 10 attempts, just 3.7 yards per carry, which is pretty clear that he's not fully effective as a rusher right now so i he's not someone i'm comfortable streaming even as bad as the qb streaming scene is this week like we'll get into yeah all right well let's get to a more fun matchup here um your number three pass funnel defense is the kansas city chiefs and what do you know they face the buffalo pills this week so i think kansas city is an underdog at home for like the first time ever under mahomes so what do you think about buffalo obviously we're starting uh, josh allen stefan diggs gabe davis probably Devin Singletary like can we go any deeper than that or is it just a great spot for the for all those names I mentioned yeah first I'll say that if fantasy football really is solved uh <laughs> then you're gonna want to get on the Kansas City Buffalo Bills chalk this week in DFS uh I I will see you there and I can't wait to split the top prize with 4,000 <laughs> of my closest friends uh but you ask about deeper plays we can get Isaiah McKenzie in our lineups. I think he just cleared the concussion protocol. I would imagine that he goes right back into his slot role. Jamison Crowder is still out, so probably not going to be any sort of split there like they had earlier in the season. I, Khalil Shakir performed well last week, caught a touchdown, but I, it seems like the team prefers to have McKenzie in there. I, yeah. They kind of had every opportunity to have Shakir play over McKenzie, like with how he was showing out in training camp and just through the first few weeks, it didn't happen for Shakir. So I wouldn't think that this is anything but just McKenzie's role at this point. Yeah. And Jamison Crowder had a bit of a role behind McKenzie in the slot. So Shakir could have that, but yeah, I would assume that McKenzie is ahead as well. And then, I mean, Gabe Davis, like, yes, last week was very I don't know if fluky is the right word. It was a massive performance on a small amount of targets, but this is a smash spot, this matchup. Like, we just can't overthink it here with Gabe Davis, right? Like, you got to be pretty loaded at receiver to leave that upside on your bench in this matchup. Yeah, I agree completely. Like, he he's a guy that you want to take a stand on because he's has had unsustainable touchdown efficiency on very few targets so far this year. That's the type of guy where I'm usually like, yeah, I'll push him down my rankings and probably pick up some points in the accuracy contest for that but i you i don't think you can fade him in this game environment he's my wide receiver 26 this week so yeah you're probably firing him up and i i think i'm even a little conservative on him yep and then as far as devin singletary i mean he is locked into the snaps on this offense and actually some of his better weeks have been when they're trailing so i actually think this is a really nice spot for Devin Singletary. I would rather have him in these games than a game the Bills are going to be up by 24. We saw them kind of shuffle in some different running backs in that situation. So um, I have Devin Singletary, RB19. He's a, an excellent start this week, even though we're talking pass funnels here, but he's kind of a pass catcher at this point. So 
Okay, let's get on to the next pass funnel, uh, the Miami Dolphins defense. And they have a matchup this week against Minnesota. So obviously Jeff, Justin Jefferson gets the start. But um, what do you think about Adam Thielen? I know he's been a little disappointing, but I'm not sure we should just be giving up on him at this point in the season. Yeah, I mean, Thielen is 32nd among all wide receivers in oppo per game right now. He's underperforming that by like two fantasy points per game. I I think he's like a legitimate kind of like flex range play um i've got in let's see in like in the 30s i think so yeah this is a good game environment as you said i really like this game for dfs if you're trying to get off the chalk which i guess we should never get off the chalk at this point but (laughs) yeah i do like this environment and if minnesota's throwing and i i mean miami i would imagine is intelligent enough to double team justin jefferson which is apparently the like big, biggest like galaxy brain insane thing that the Vikings have never heard of and have no idea how to counter. Uh, so it, maybe that means good things for Thielen, but it, it's just kind of all about what Jefferson does in this offense. Yep. Okay. And then finally we have the Arizona Cardinals, our fifth run our pass funnel defense, excuse me. They are facing the Seattle Seahawks. So Ryan, uh, let's just get this out of the way. It's, it's Geno Smith talk time. So um, I don't, we can't call him a streamer anymore. This is Geno Smith uh, QB one. I don't know. Uh, it's QB what six on the year. So what are we doing with Geno Smith here? QB seven on the year. Yes. And yeah. I, so I was all excited to have Geno Smith in the streamer section. i talk about how he was the best projection of any streamer all year so last night when i was writing up some of my notes he was only rostered in like 30 percent of yahoo leagues that's up to 71 percent now so not, very clearly not a streamer seems like everybody else caught on in about the same time that we did uh but yeah as you said like th- this is an extreme pass funnel against the cardinals um it's a 51 point over under that is the second highest game total of the week. And here's all the Geno Smith is good stats. He is leading the league in completion percentage. He actually ranks eighth in deep ball attempts. It's not like he's dinking and dunking fifth in deep ball completion percentage and fourth in total passing EPA. So by any metric you can apply, Geno Smith is playing really well right now and i mean better than pretty much any quarterback in the league not named josh allen jalen hurts or patrick mahomes or lamar jackson like he he's as far as just even as far as like real life that that's about what his level of play is right now which it's just insane but yeah if you're one of the millions of people that just picked up geno smith you are playing him against the cardinals he's my qb8 on the week yeah, I mean, it's a five-game sample size at this point. It's not like we're talking about this is week two and he's had a couple of hot weeks. Like, I think we have to believe this until we see something change. I'm pretty sure uh, preseason leading up to drafts, I I said something along the lines of Tyler Lockett's going to prove us all that we're thinking about this way too much and he's a good player and we just let him drop in every draft. And uh, sure looks like it. He's he's reeled off four straight double-digit uh, PPR weeks and was the wide receiver three last week. So uh, you're starting Tyler Lockett, you're starting DK Metcalf, um, all the pass catchers in this game. I Maybe not Will Disley, but other than that, uh, you're starting the big-time pass catchers in Seattle. Yeah, Will, the Will Disley-Noah Fant battle continues. All right, let's get on to the run funnels. So these are defenses that 
are both allowing a lot of rushing attempts and are allowing teams to be very efficient on those rushing attempts. So th this is mostly going to be your domain, Eric, as the running back guy on this podcast. So starting with the most extreme run funnel, it's actually the Chicago Bears by a, basically an order of magnitude. Their, their score is half, basically, of the next team. So let, tell, tell me about this commander's backfield, Eric. Is, is there anything we can do here in what seems like it should be a pretty good matchup? Yeah. And well, I mean, one thing about the Bears here, it's kind of why we're looking at it from this perspective is they've only allowed the 10th most points to opposing running backs, but just the way their offense plays, like they're, it's so, so paced, like teams are just running the ball on them. They're getting the lead. Like these are slow games. And the, the thought is if a team can actually kind of speed up the game here, get ahead, they're still running the ball. But like, I, I think it's an interesting way to look at this. So you just look at the pure points allowed. Chicago doesn't look as bad, but um, yeah, teams are really running the ball on them. And so last week, Brian Robinson returned to the Washington backfield. It's a three-headed monster as of last week. J.D. McKissick led with 41% of the snaps, uh, Antonio Gibson 32%, and Brian Robinson 29%. So first week back for Robinson, he's almost equaled Gibson already. I would expect him to surpass him pretty quickly. I did think it was interesting. J.D. McKissick popped up with the ninth best oppo score last week. So um, it was a 19% target share. He did not run much. So he was obviously getting some valuable goal line uh, targets, some, some work in scoring position. I wouldn't expect that to maintain necessarily, but I do think McKissick, even though he's more of a pass catcher, um, I think he is a desperation like flex play this week. But as far as the other two, like, I don't know, like Antonio Gibson still had an 11% target share last week, but his rushing attempts cratered with Robinson back. Uh, Robinson carried nine times, but no targets. Like, I think Robinson surpasses him here, but I, I see Gibson and Robinson cannibalizing each other for now. Maybe Washington gets up big, just runs the ball the whole second half, and they choose Robinson over Gibson, and you can get a start out of Robinson, but... I, I'm kind of on the stay away right now. It's maybe we should be taking a risk here because this is such a, a big run funnel, but it's hard for me to predict more than like 10 carries for these running backs. Yeah. There's two kind of ways this can go. Like you mentioned is I, either it just stays like this really gross three headed monster the whole year or Brian Robinson at some point just completely takes over the rushing workload, especially like the early down roll. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of, empathize with you that I'm inclined to want to take that risk so what yeah. this really means is I'm going to be playing showdown Bears commanders and finding ways to play Brian Robinson in it and that, that, that I'm sure that's going to be such a normal and healthy way to spend my Thursday night yeah I mean I don't know Brian Robinson might be chalk at this point right I mean he's got the national storyline everyone knows him so many people are talking about him it's kind of wild I, I he's, he's a very popular player for someone who had nine carries last week yeah, he, yeah. There, there is so much narrative around him. I, I haven't even looked at the salaries yet. He could be chalk for all I know. Um, yeah. let, let's move on to the next run funnel here, uh, which is the Green Bay Packers, uh, and they're playing the Jets this week. So, uh, another kind of possibly frustrating backfield. Uh, t tell us what you're thinking here, Eric. I mean, for me, I'm pretty much all on board with Brees Hall. I know last week it was a little bit big play dependent. I mean, he had two targets, 100 yards receiving. Like, you're not going to necessarily see that most weeks, but he still had 97 yards rushing. I've got Brees Hall as my RB12. Like, I'm just locked in. I, I, he's a talented player. He's getting the 60% snap share we want to see. There aren't that many running backs higher than that anyway. So we're starting Brees Hall. 
Uh, so the first thing that came to my mind was Michael Carter. Can we chase his touchdowns kind of, you know, like if it's a run funnel defense, maybe we can get a little bit for both of these running backs. Uh, last week, Michael Carter had 42% of the snaps. He scored, I believe, two touchdowns last week, but I looked at his red zone work. He's got two carries inside the five this year. That's the same as Brees Hall. Brees Hall actually has topped Michael Carter on carries inside the 10, six to three on the year. So I think we're kind of reaching here if we try to chase Michael Carter's touchdown potential. Um, he's at 40% of the snaps, you know, he's been productive. So he's not the worst option in the world. That's just the way running back is, but I've got him like RB 37. So I don't think we can quite get there with Michael Carter, even though this is a nice matchup. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think Michael Carter is just point chasing. Like it, it seemed like a situation where Hall had just made a couple of big plays and he was gassed and came off the field and Carter Mm -hmm. just happened to be there. So yeah, I, I think I'm mostly with you there. Uh, Going on to the third biggest run funnel, it is actually the New York Giants. So the the other side of this game that we talked about a little earlier, uh, the, I would think the Ravens can take advantage of a run funnel defense, right? That's That seems like what their offense is built to do. Yeah, uh, <laughs> when they have healthy running backs, for sure. Um, well, I guess the question is just how much of it's Lamar and how much of it's the backfield. So obviously I watched a lot of that Ravens-Bengals game, watched the whole thing, and I actually was pretty impressed with J.K. Dobbins. I thought he showed some really good burst. It's a good Bengals defense. He was getting loose on some runs. He only played 40% of the snaps, so that is obviously a concern, but I believe he's only two games back now. He's trending in the right direction, and his backfield competition is horrendous. I mean, it's Kenyon Drake and Mike Davis. So Dobbins is obviously going to be boom bust. Like we don't see a lot of pass catching with him um, and we don't think he's going to get 70% of the work. So that really leaves him dependent on touchdowns here, but I don't know about you, Ryan. I'm not quite ready to call this giants team. Like people are talking playoffs. People are getting excited. Like I could see them dropping five straight. Like that wouldn't surprise me at all, you know? So I'm not ready to think that they're going to put up a huge fight against the Ravens. So I could see a lead here. I could see Baltimore handling this and Dobbins getting a touchdown. Uh, He's RB24 for me. I think he's a really solid play. It's just, you know, the pass catching and the workload that gives me a little bit of pause. Yeah, agreed. I I mean, realistically, I think it will mostly be Lamar Jackson benefiting from this run funnel. Like that this could be like a hundred yard rushing game for Lamar and I would not even blink. Um, But yeah, I'm very clearly Dobbins is in a good spot here. Justice Hill would have broken out this year, Eric. I <laughs> I watched him for two games, like was showing explosive plays, was getting nostalgic for 2018 or whenever it was that he came out and we were excited about him. I I really thought this was going to be the year for Justice Hill, but no, yeah. had had to get injured. Um, oh yeah. Harbaugh had a glowing, a glowing quote on him, like the week he got hurt too. It really looked like it was happening. So yeah, it'd be a lot more fun if it was Dobbins and Justice Hill, just for our, our, our fantasy dynasty teams. But um, unfortunately it's Kenyon Drake. Yeah. And let's, yeah, let's not talk about Kenyon Drake and move on to the next run funnel defense. Uh, So Denver is the fourth biggest run funnel through five weeks. Um, The Chargers are playing them this week. Austin Eckler, obviously we're starting. Um, Do we get interested at all with any of the guys behind him as like desperation plays, Eric? So I think, 
I think what we're interested here is if it, if this is a nice matchup for the Chargers running game, can Joshua Kelly have a second straight really nice week and just solidify the backup role? So I, we're not starting Joshua Kelly, but that's what I'm interested to see. And Denver is another one of those. It's not that they're necessarily giving up the most fantasy points, but when they've got such a stout pass defense, teams are trying to avoid that. Uh, teams are rushing for five yards of carry on this Broncos D. So this isn't like the smash spot that like Detroit or Seattle is necessarily. They're just bad at everything. But Denver's kind of a sneaky, like teams are going to run the ball a lot on them. So I do think we could see um, plenty of rushes here. Joshua Kelly could get, you know, five or six or seven. Maybe he sneaks in for a touchdown. But I'm mainly just, I'm hoping he can solidify. This is as a Sony Michelle manager too. Like I would love to see Sony Michelle take this, but I really just want somebody to take this backup role. So I'm hoping Kelly does it this week. I did cut Sony Michelle in some leagues this week. So just, just okay. to let you know that this is probably his breakout game. Um, I, I flipped him for Josh Kelly and uh, Scott Fishbowl. So uh, yeah, same. <laughs> All right. The last run funnel defense we want to talk about is the Carolina Panthers. Um, we, we just saw this in action with Jeff Wilson last week. And now the Panthers get the Rams whose backfield re- really could use some, some help and some production. So what what do we do here, Eric? Just catch me up on the Los Angeles backfield that has been just kind of sitting on all my fantasy benches for the last three weeks. Yeah, it's been real rough, but this might be a week where we can start one of them. Um, I kind of thought that Cam Akers was just coming for this job when he had a a nice snap share in week three, Um, but it is reversed course. I mean, Daryl Henderson's had 57 plus percent of the snaps every week, except for that week three. So he's kind of leveled out into this lead back role. There's been no production from Henderson or Akers. So this is still a scary start, but against Carolina, they're one of seven teams that have given up 600 yards rushing this year. Um, So there's definitely something to chase here and they're going to have PJ Walker at quarterback. So if we thought Baker Mayfield was bad, this could be worse. And so I'm just picturing kind of a get right game here for the Rams where they possess the ball a lot. They keep the Panthers off the field. Their defense looks as good as it should be and and shuts down this backup quarterback. So I think that's where the excitement would be for Daryl Henderson this week. I have him ranked ahead of Akers. I still have him around RB 31. Um, I probably could move him up above some of the handcuffs like Tony Pollard and them. I just haven't seen that explosiveness from Henderson, but uh, I would not be at all surprised if it's it's a lead in the second half and and he's getting a lot of carries to ice this game. My only worry is that while Henderson has been out snapping Acres, it seems like Acres is the one that they just want to give the ball to, no matter what the results are. Like he he will put up his nine carries for two point three yards per carry, kind of like clockwork. And I if this is like the Rams are getting out to a lead and just can run all over the Panthers, like I. I would think he's the one that benefits there, but I, I mean, I agree with you. It's Daryl Henderson clearly has more left in the tank than Cam Akers does right now, but yeah, it's just scary. I, yeah, I don't (laughs) think I can get either in my lineup. Yeah. Relatively speaking, he has more left in the tank. I'm I'm not sure what's going on here, but uh, it's, it's pretty rough. So I don't know. They both have a shot at a touchdown. If you have a desperation, uh, you know, RB2 or flex that you need filled, you could be worse than these, but it's hard to rank them very high. So yeah, I think that's a, a pretty good recap on all the run funnels and the pass funnels. I think we'll try to check in on this every so often. But again, I know I've said this a few times, this is not to say 
uh, do not start everyone against the, the Seahawks and the Lions because you should start everyone against the Seahawks and the Lions. But these are just some of the sneakier defenses that we thought were worth bringing to light here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the Seahawks and Lions both kind of rank like somewhat in the middle of the like the pass funnel versus run funnel spectrum. And it's because you can do whatever you want on them. There's there's a few defenses like that. So, yeah, this not the be all end all for sure. Uh, let's get to the running back that might be the be all end all for this season with how things seem to be shaping up, at least over the next few weeks. Ramondre Stevenson, Eric, are, it this is happening, right? Like it's amazing. This is just what we hoped for. It is. I was very skeptical that we would ever get here, uh, but he had a 90% snap share last week. And I know that Damian Harris was in the game and was injured very early, but man, Patriots teams of the past, you'd still think some special teamer would come in and take 40% of the snaps. And they gave it all to Stevenson last week. So uh, Damian Harrison, Damian Harris is allegedly going to miss multiple weeks here with a hamstring injury. It's kind of odd that he got in a limited practice today. That kind of worries me a little bit as far as a Stevenson manager, but it, I'd be shocked if he if he plays this week. So Stevenson had 161 yards and 25 carries against a really bad Detroit defense last week for sure. But he now gets a Browns defense giving up 5.9 yards per rush. They were completely unable to stop the running game the last two weeks against the Falcons and Chargers. Um, so if, if Harris is out, like you're starting Stevenson over just about everyone, I've got him RB nine. He can fit in, in any kind of game script with his pass catching ability. I, I feel like we haven't still seen that unlocked fully his pass catching ability, but we know it's there. So yeah, it, it's hard to have any hesitation here with Stevens Stevenson, other than being on the road. And even if Harris played, like he's still a top 15 back. So Stevenson's set up great for the rest of the year. And let's see if he can really kind of steal this job over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So couple thoughts here, little things I want to add is yes, the 90% snap share is encouraging, but there actually was not another active running back on the roster. It was only Stevenson and Harris last Sunday. So the okay. Patriots didn't really have any choice. I'm, I'm sure they would have loved to throw Pierre strong in there for <laughs> 20% of the snaps or JJ Taylor. I I don't even know that there's been a move made from the practice squad yet. Um, so that maybe that's a sign that Harris could be healthy. But speaking of that, they've done this kind of exact same thing with Mac Jones these last couple of weeks. Like he, he's been quote unquote limited in practice and could, could suit up both yeah. of these past weeks where it, it's like very transparent that he is not, but the, this is just how the Patriots like to handle their injuries and their injury reports. So, yeah, yeah I, I would not expect Harris to suit up this week, as you said. Um, anything else here before we move on to the next running back? Not really. I was having a discussion with my brother who's gloating over drafting Ramondre Stevenson. And um, we kind of both had the same thought. We see these takes that you should sell high on them. And it's kind of like, this is what you drafted him for. Like, this is why you got him was for this production. And unless you're flipping him for, you know, Jonathan Taylor or something, I don't know why you would sell high now. Just, we don't have to sell high on everyone. Just enjoy this run right here. And let's see if he can dominate for the next few weeks, because uh, we're always so quick to, to flip these players, but I think we just need to sit on them when, when things break your way sometimes. Yeah, I agree completely. You don't, don't want to outsmart yourself there <laughs> like that. I Stevenson's a buy high, in my opinion, like the, the whole reason we liked him and all of this started is because we 
think he's good at football. He's a good football player. He was showing like the efficiency stats and everything we wanted last year. So we just understood that this was a potential scenario. So yeah, I mean, Stevenson could fall flat on his face. He could not be as good as we thought he was, but like that, that's just, you got to shrug your shoulders at that point. Like the, clearly the, the, the process worked on Ramondre Stevenson. Uh, <laughs> yes. All right. Let's move on to another running back. Uh, Eno Benjamin it, <laughs> gets the Seattle defense potentially as the only real running back in this Cardinals backfield. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see with James Conner's status, uh, but walk me through this play, Eric, and how, how high can you get, you know, Benjamin? That's the real question. So I kind of ranked assuming Connor was going to play this week. I don't know why, just the rib injury. They said he fell on the football, I believe, last I saw. I just didn't think it was real severe, but he didn't practice on Wednesday. Kingsbury called him day-to-day, said he could uh, he could possibly play even with not much practice this week. But really the big things here, Daryl Williams is also out with a sprained knee. He's already out and he could be out for several weeks. Even their special team running back, Jonathan Ward has a hamstring injury. So it's just, Eno Benjamin, Keontae Ingram, and they recently signed Tyson Williams. Yes, that Tyson Williams to the practice squad. So if Connor is straight up out, like, yes, then it's a real question of how high can we rank them? Because This Seattle defense is bad at everything. They've allowed the fourth most points to running backs, five yards per carry, third most receiving yards to the position, like everything here. So um, with limited snaps, you know, Benjamin still has an 8% target share just behind James Conner's 9% on the season. Last week, Benjamin played 54% of the snaps after the injury, 10% target share. So yeah, I really wanted to rank him very highly if James Conner was out. I was struggling a little bit to get him above like RB23, I'd like to hear what you think about him. Other uh, Above him, uh, it's like Ken Walker without Rashad Penny. Uh, it's Travis Etienne Jr., Najee Harris, Devin Singletary. I had a hard time getting him above that group, but I did get him ahead of like J.K. Dobbins, James Robinson, Kareem Hunt. So I don't, I don't know if you think that's where he fits in or can we get him even higher against the Seattle defense? Yeah, a couple thoughts here, and they're probably going to derail us, and I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so that I, I acknowledge that question you just asked me, but we'll see whether I actually answer it. Uh, I think Tyson Williams is the perfect example of what we talked about a few weeks ago, which is these otter running backs where (laughs) as soon as they are in the situation, you should probably just run away. Tyson Williams was efficient with his touches in the limited action he saw last year, but every NFL coach just absolutely hates him for some reason. I don't know if it's the pass blocking, the fumbles. I'm sh- I'm sure there are lots of potential reasons for this, but yeah. the, it, seeing like nine Tyson Williams carries for 80 yards and then him just getting benched in like midway through the third quarter, that, that I think this could be in the range of outcomes. Sadly. Sounds like he's a perfect fit for the Cardinals. I could, I could see them using him and then just getting fed up with him and never, he's their best running back, but they never play him again. Yeah, yeah, that that's exactly where I feel like this could be headed if you know Benjamin doesn't work out this week. Yeah. Uh and then the other thought I had is this game is now gonna start at 5 30 Eastern Standard Time, uh be, because of baseball or something. I I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous that baseball would be allowed to affect the legitimate sport of football. Right. Uh but what that means is if James Conner is a game time decision, what, mm. what do you do? If you only have Conner or Benjamin on your roster, 
I, I mean, if Benjamin suits up, as we've talked about, we think he's a top 24 play, mm-hmm. but that feels really risky to leave him in your lineup without a potential pivot option with most of the games already over by that, by the time we would find out if Connor's active. So yeah. I just, what's your, what are your thoughts there? Like that, I feel like we have to account for this in the rankings and like, like you say, I mean, what, if you're wanting to get him ahead of like the JK Dobbins, um, the Kareem hunts, like I almost just want to say, well, I I'm going to put those guys in my lineup instead. If mm-hmm. I, if Connor's a game time decision and I don't even know if I'm getting a roll out of Vino Benjamin. Yeah, I would probably still, even if Connor plays, I would expect some sort of a role. Like I kind of penciled in Connor, like RB 17, assuming he was like pretty healthy, but like, look at the RB thirties at running back. I still think you could get Eno up around RB 30 if he's in a complimentary role. I mean, you're looking at Zeke who, I mean, that's a whole nother story. His performance has been terrible this year. That's my RB 29, like Daryl Henderson. We just talked about RB 31. Tyler Algier, who is a lead back, but he's playing against San Francisco, which is just a brutal matchup. So I think he kind of, you know, kind of fits in with that group, even if Connor's playing. I think like Seattle's just a, such a great matchup that I, I agree. I would be playing the Kareem Hunt types, the James Robinson types over, you know, Benjamin, if we don't have much clarity coming into the afternoon. Um, looks like what Sunday night we have Dallas, Philadelphia. Monday we have chargers broncos there's probably not a lot of options you can pick up and have as a fallback there maybe boone i don't know maybe mike boone would be an option but he's not exactly exciting so yeah i think i'm with you if you have better options and this thing has now been pushed back you should probably go with those but it it, man it is seattle ryan like we want to play these guys against seattle so that's that's what makes me hesitate just a little bit yeah that's that's the problem and i'll (laughs) say that i if james connor is not ruled out by Saturday night uh, I'm gonna have a really fun time playing DFS this week and figuring out whether I can have Vino Benjamin and then potentially have to late swap him at after the four o'clock games have started so yeah yeah, that sounds like really sounds like a fun situation in fantasy land uh let's move on to a player that hasn't been much fun Najee Harris (laughs) um I there I don't think I have much to even say Eric so why why don't you just tell me what's been going on here this, this is may, maybe I think we already took the L on Najee Harris like three yeah. weeks ago but it's hasn't gotten better has it no a uh, few things here I do think that maybe the preseason injury has has something to do with this here so I I'm not going to avoid the L, but I would have liked to have seen how this year played out if he did not have a Liz Frank injury in the preseason, just as, you know, rankings were kind of getting solidified. But um, I'm going to try to talk people off the ledge here a little bit. I'm still pretty pessimistic about Harris here. Um, I've got him RB20 against uh, Tampa Bay, another terrible matchup. Uh, Jalen Warren did outsnap him 38 to 37 last week, but he, uh, Warren outsnapped Harris 22 to 3 in the fourth quarter of the blowout. So, it's not really, it's not like Warren took over this backfield. It is concerning if Harris is going to lose all the work in a blowout. Like that's another story, but we would like to have him out there for that. But Harris was playing 80% of the snaps in week three, 75% week four. So I don't think it's as bad as you might just looking at the box score might think. Um, one thing that maybe is encouraging here is uh, Kenny Pickett. Like this is all going to depend on Kenny Pickett for Najee Harris. Um, I'm a little encouraged that they let Pickett throw 52 times last week in a blowout. 
Um, the production needs to be better, but it's only been two starts for Pickett. So I think the clearest path for Najee Harris um, to improve and to have a good season is um, to get targets, to get passing game work. The line's bad. They can't run the ball. Uh, he just needs to rack up receptions. So Pickett targeted the running backs nine times last week. That's a 17% target share. I think that's our path to um, Najee Harris bailing us out here. We we just need Kenny Pickett to keep chucking the ball and to, to throw it his way a little more often. So it's still hard to be real excited about him. And, and Jalen Warren could certainly steal some more snaps here. But I still think we're kind of looking at like a 70-30 split at this point. Um, obviously down from last year, but... Yeah, that's a long way of saying he's my RB20 this week. If you got a better option, you have the freedom to bench him, but I'm still going to play him over some of these part-time players and, you know, kind of equally as bad offenses. I did consider putting Pickett in the QB streamer section this week if you want an idea of how ugly that yeah. position is right now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I largely agree with you. Like we need this offense to turn around because Najee is not being efficient by himself. He's not Saquon Barkley from a talent profile perspective, pretty clearly he's not breaking off long runs. Like we need a high volume role for him on at least like an average ish offense. And yeah, I mean, what are the odds of those factors aligning the rest of the season? Um, Like maybe 10 to 20%. I like I'm, Still pretty pessimistic on the Steelers as a whole. I th- I think Pickett's probably fine, but I don't think he's going to just completely turn this offense around. Um, yeah. yeah, so that that's probably enough on Harris. Uh, so, sorry about that one if, <laughs> you, if, if you thought he was going to be a juggernaut running back. Um, let's move on to the last guy here. Travis Etienne, just, we talked about the Jaguars on what we saw, yeah. um, but maybe take us through this backfield split a little bit more and tell us maybe looking forward what you think we can expect. Yeah. And this is more for, like you said, anyone who missed the, what we saw podcast, but um, I just wanted to repeat some of it here. Like I I was just really impressed with ETN. Uh, He had 53% of the snaps, 11% target share, which I think there's both room for both of those to go up. So I don't think that's the peak necessarily. Uh, he just looked really fast, really explosive. The Jaguars offense desperately needs that. The rest of the offense is pretty slow. So um, he hasn't scored a touchdown yet. That's got to change. But, I mean, you know, that's a little bit of a added, you know, regression that we could see maybe here from ETN. So Colts defense, it's a tough defense. That's why I have him ranked RB21 still. Uh, they've done a really good job opposing, uh, limiting opposing running backs, but they have allowed the fourth most receiving yards to running backs. So that kind of fits in with ETN. So we need them to feed him through the passing game. He kind of feels like a poor man's Brees Hall at this point. Like, I don't know if he's got the three down, quite the three down profile that Brees Hall does. Maybe we'll see. Uh, but I, I think kind of a poor man's Brees Hall and hopefully he can kind of break out a little farther and, and follow a similar path that Brees Hall has. So I like ETN way more than James Robinson. Uh, it's just a matter of how much passing game work he gets. Again, uh, it's just, it's really going to drive a lot of these running backs that are in these like 50, 50, 60, 40 splits. Yeah, it seems like ETN's arrow is pointing up, but yeah, I think a lot of how excited we can get is going to hinge on what we think of this Jaguars offense. And I, I, it's hard to know what to make of it. Um, so I'll just jump right into my first wide receiver. I wanted to talk about since it's topical is Zay Jones. Uh, as I said, like, I I just kind of don't know what to do with this offense. Um, they, they've been pretty balanced so far throughout the whole year. Um, they have a negative 0.3% pass rate over expected. They're running like just a touch more 
than you would expect for the game scripts that they've been in. Uh, so you you would think that that could lead to lots of different options in this offense being viable. Um, but it, it, the production just really hasn't been there. Lawrence has obviously been struggling. Looking at Zay Jones, I mean, he's 23rd among all wide receivers in oppo per game right now. He just commanded another eight targets in his first game back from injury. Like he's getting the volume, he's getting the usage, um, but he caught like three of them for 12 yards or something like that. So I this is a player that I called out in the same breath as Jacoby Myers a week ago saying that there is opportunity here that is being vastly underrated by much of the fantasy industry. So I feel good that Jacoby Myers validated that maybe Zay Jones will do so. will do so this week. Uh, But yeah, he's my wide receiver 30. It seems like the gap between him and Christian Kirk isn't as big as we kind of thought. And uh, it's just interesting to me that Zay is playing almost as well as Kirk getting almost as many targets when Kirk is just kind of living in the slot and feasting off these slot corners where I, I usually think of Zay Jones as the, the type of player that would need to be in the slot to be productive. But it's just interesting to me that he is at least getting the volume. We'll see if the production comes, I guess. But do you, I, do you have any like macro thoughts on the Jags offense? Or are you, are you encouraged? Do you think Trevor Lawrence is going to turn it around? Yeah, I mean, my thoughts from watching that whole game, I mean, again, it was the first game I've watched start to finish of the Jaguars last week, but it, their receivers seemed pretty interchangeable in the sense that I didn't get the impression they were like, oh, we got to get Christian Kirk the ball here. We're scheming up plays for him. Like, it kind of seemed like they were going to go to whatever the defense let him take. So I think that's an encouraging thing for Zay Jones. They're not just going to force feed the ball to Christian Kirk. They were giving Zay Jones screens, like, You know, like that's something we want from our fantasy receivers, getting some easy screen catches. So, yeah, I I mean, the volume's there. He's getting the targets. It's hard to be – it's hard to push back on wide receiver 30 there. I like it. I still think that Trevor Lawrence has talent. They just need to open things up a little more, man. Like it was just last week, it was just so conservative. And even though they passed a lot, it's just let Lawrence throw deep a little more back off defenses. I, I think there is untapped potential here in Jacksonville. So probably not as good as they looked uh, early on, not as bad as they looked against Houston somewhere in between. All right. Yeah, we, we can roll with somewhere in between, I think. <laughs> um, let, let's go to the next wide receiver that I wanted to make sure we talked about. Rondell Moore is my wide receiver 36 this week uh, playing Seattle. We've already touched on that game. Probably going to be a high scoring affair. Uh Rondale ran 41 of 45 possible routes this past week, commanded eight targets. And I, most importantly, I, th- I think Greg Dortch is done, only ran two routes. Th- this is a role where Rondale Moore could be useful for fantasy football. He's 33rd among wide receivers in oppo per game. His average depth of target is up at 6.9. That That's high for Rondale Moore. I, it was like two. <laughs> in his rookie year so that that is actually an improvement believe it or not that's like a normal functioning wide receiver type of ADOT <laughs> uh but I mean so far he's been underperforming his opportunity by four and a half fantasy points per game uh but that can easily turn around that just, just takes like a touchdown or two and as I said totally possible against the Seattle defense they're allowing 8.6 yards per pass attempt, and that, that is by far the highest in the NFL. 
I, the risk with him is that the Cardinals get up early, but that come on, this is the Cardinals we're talking about. They're going to, they're going to find a way to make sure that Geno Smith and co are in this game till until the last second. So I, yeah. this could be a back and forth one. Yeah. I mean, I like more, like, that was the first thing I saw was the, what, like seven for 86 or something. I was just like, how much of that was yak, but it sounds like it was a decent dot. So that's huge for more second most snaps on the team last week, second most, uh, second highest target share. So, I mean, he's competing with AJ Green behind Marquise Brown right now. Like I, I'll take my chances with more. Obviously Hopkins is going to come back at some point, but I really don't think we should be that worried if we have more, like we, this offense hasn't really even been that good yet. So just getting Hopkins back and getting more shots at touchdowns, I think is going to be pretty big. So I don't even see much downside more once Hopkins gets back. I almost think it's going to be a benefit. Maybe we see less targets. I, you know, that's certainly possible. But I think if the whole offense is moving a little bit better here, that's going to benefit more. Yeah, I mean, you people forget DeAndre Hopkins was not that good last year. <laughs> like yep. his target share, his targets per outrun, yards per outrun, everything was down. Like just, just kind of what you would expect from an aging receiver that is entering the twilight of his career. So yeah, I, I think Hopkins could be useful on the outside as somebody that's going to occasionally help you move the chains and make outperform AJ green, hopefully. Uh, But yeah, I don't, I don't think he's like this target magnet that we should be worried about. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think Rondale and Hollywood can continue to be productive even with Hopkins in the fold. Yep. Totally agree. I still think we haven't seen the best of Hollywood either. So I'm still holding out hope. Maybe I shouldn't with Cliff Kingsbury, but we'll we'll see once this all gets kind of back in place here. So um, let's get to your next receiver here. Um, you got Alec Pierce. I'm actually pretty excited about Pierce. I've liked what I've seen so far. So what are your thoughts on Pierce? Yeah, Pierce has been a player that's kind of gone unnoticed these last few weeks. Maybe maybe it's just been just overall pessimism about cults, uh, which yeah. is, is fair. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, in the last three games, Pierce's targets have gone five to six to nine. Uh, his oppo has gone from 9.3 to 10.2 to 14.2, seeing an 11.1 average depth of target. So he's getting getting down the field a little bit. His usage is basically identical to players like Romeo Dobbs, Brandon Ayuk. So we can get him into that like wide receiver 40 through 50 range pretty easily. He can be like a kind of deeper flex play. I'm, I'm totally fine with that. He's my wide receiver 45 this week. And Ashton Doolin just hit the IR. So he was pretty much the only other receiver in Indianapolis, aside from Michael Pittman, that has commanded any sort of targets this year. So I mean, that's another obstacle that it, I mean, was kind of already pushed aside, but is we know it's not going to come back and mess with Pierce anymore, essentially. Yeah, not to sidetrack us here, but would you believe if I told you that Paris Campbell played 92% of the snaps last week? <laughs> He's on the field like every week, like 80 plus percent of the snaps at zero production. That, that's sidetracking us there a bit, but man, talk about. We finally get him healthy. He's only 25 still, and there's just been absolutely nothing from him. It's tough. Like when guys sustain all these injuries, it's it's like, it, would they have been productive if it hadn't happened? Like, is their effectiveness just been yeah. completely shot? I mean, we had this conversation with Jared McKinnon seemingly like five years ago, and I, he's still around the league, so who knows? But yeah, it it's really unfortunate, Paris Campbell. But no, I would not believe you if you told me he played ninety percent of the snaps. Yeah, because where was he? 
Yeah, I think he's topped out at four for 43 this year. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously Pierce has got a huge opportunity. So I, I, I bet if Pierce hadn't gotten dinged up, what was that, week one or week two, he'd be even further ahead of schedule here. So uh, super impressive for a rookie to be drawing this kind of work. And uh, Colts certainly need playmakers, especially if Jonathan Taylor misses any significant time. So, all right, um, next up, you've got the one and only Donovan Peoples-Jones. Uh, Chris Sanzo tried to talk us into him way back before the season started feels like a year ago but um are you starting to come around on donovan people's jones here i think it's more that i'm still trying to talk myself into him um <laughs> like there's there there's some things here where that make you wonder like oh, okay donovan people's jones has at least seven targets in three out of five games this year including like an 11 target game he's in just in terms of pure oppo per game he's ranked 47th so that should give us some potential like deep flex utility in certain matchups right uh but I, he's underperforming that opportunity by 3.7 fantasy points per game right now and so my first thought was wow I, I guess he must be getting targeted downfield a lot and some of these deep shots just aren't connecting but that's not it like he has an 8.9 average depth of target like pr- pretty much average for a wide receiver so I, i'm thinking to myself what could it be and th- then i figured out Donovan Peoples-Jones leads the league with five drops right now. So if I had to guess, I I would say that has something to do with him underperforming the volume that he's seeing. Um, It would be pretty weird for, uh, unless Peoples-Jones is just really bad. It would be pretty weird for him to continue to not produce on like that normal of an A dot with that um, amount of volume, like he, he should have like a decent game at some point here. Uh, He's still very clearly ahead of David Bell. As far as routes go, he ran 33 of a possible 36 routes last week. So it, I don't think it's like he's losing his job or he's playing himself out of all this volume. So I, maybe you fire him up against new England as a desperation play and, hope he can hold on to the ball but but yeah that that's maybe the like least excited tout of any player (laughs) i've had yet this year yeah i mean just doing a little uh game log scouting here uh i mean he really disappeared in weeks two and three but i mean other than that we're talking seven or more targets in three weeks four or more catches in three weeks um, 50 or more receiving yards they're they're pretty solid lines like i think if we had peppered in a couple touchdowns here for donovan people's jones like people would be I don't know, touting him as a waiver wire pickup. I, there'd be a lot more talk about him here. He just has not reached the end zone. I know one of those weeks, I think Atlanta, he caught a bomb down to the two-yard line. So, I mean, that's just the way fantasy goes sometimes. But it's not real hard to squint and look at these lines and see uh, a lot more hype here for Peoples-Jones. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't know what your thoughts are on this New England secondary overall. I know they've had, like, the rookie corner playing well and stuff. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Do you think this is a matchup that, like, we could play him in, in desperation? I'd, I'd say the New England secondary is like a neutral-ish matchup yeah. at, at this point. Like there, there have been like some communication issues. There's been some questionable decisions. Uh, I, I don't know that Devin McCourty really has it as he has in years past. So there have been some hiccups here and there, but th- there's clearly talent in it. But I, I could absolutely see Donovan Peoples-Jones getting open down the sideline on a busted coverage and making his fantasy day is, is how I'll put that. Yeah. And I mean, this, you know, we're going to talk about uh, quarterbacks here in just a second, but Jacoby Brissett is not the best in the league, but this Browns offense, just with the running game, 
it's almost always going to be a functional offense. And that's a lot more than we can say about some of these offenses this year. So yeah, I, I just, the running game is going to propel this offense forward and it's going to create opportunities for the receivers. So I, I don't hate it. Um, I, I'm still not quite there with DP. Do we call him DPJ? I, I yeah, that's sure. Okay. <laughs> that's actually hard to say. We may need to come up with a different one, but I'm not quite there with him yet, but um, he's certainly on the radar now. So, all right. Enough Browns talk for a minute at least. So let's get to QB streamers here. Kind of like we mentioned up top, um, rest in peace to Geno Smith streamer, Ryan, because we just can't talk about him anymore. Yeah, it's rough because – so in the sit-start article, I put up Geno Smith against this next guy that I'm about to talk about just, just to show you how clearly better of a streamer Geno Smith was going to be. Yeah. Uh, but but now we're stuck streaming the guy that I was using – that I was making fun of in order to make the point about Geno Smith. Um so with that said, Jimmy Garoppolo is my QB 13 this week. He is at the Falcons, uh, 34% rostered in Yahoo leagues right now. Really, th- this is just kind of a like a bare bones process play. The 49ers are favorites, uh, implied 25 points, which is honestly pretty a pretty decent total for this week. Uh, the Falcons are allowing the 12th most fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks. They actually rank as the seventh biggest pass funnel. Uh, we So just outside of what we talked about at the top of the show, but mm-hmm. still a positive matchup for opposing passing games. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo ranks fifth in passing EPA this year. Uh, that, I don't know how much stock we want to put into that stat. Uh, I mean, EPA is, is a good stat for evaluating um, – the performance of quarterbacks, but I come come on, it's Jimmy Garoppolo on a small sample, but yeah, like this is as good as the streamers get this week. Um, and and I'm sorry is kind of all I have to say. Yeah, I mean, a little bit like the Browns, like it's a good offense. So our fear is just that they just run the ball all game. But I don't know. I mean, if they're going to be around the end zone a lot, I you know you'll take your chances with a couple touchdowns. He's given us you know. 18 fantasy points last week. So it's not the worst play in the world. Um, I hope you have better options at this point. Like I'm even noticing, maybe this isn't even a better option, but Carson Wentz has snuck under the, 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 the category of 50% rostered for the streamers. He's at 48. So like, maybe look for some of these other players to get dropped um, as bye weeks hit. But yeah, Jimmy G might be about as good as it gets at this point. Yeah, that uh, Bears Commanders game has a 38 point over under, <laughs> which I I think is the lowest I can remember, at least for a while. Uh, yeah. Somehow the commanders are underdogs. So yeah, that kind of, I looked at that line and was like, yeah, I, Carson Wentz is not. <laughs> With both starting quarterbacks too. There's not even a backup in there. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> oh God. But actually we will talk about, we will talk about Justin Fields in a little bit here. Um, okay. But first uh, just we'll call out Jacoby Brissett extremely similar play to Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, I mean, you're hoping for the same thing, essentially that the offense is just functional um, as a, with the team being favored. Uh, The implied total is a bit lower for the Browns, only 22.75. And this game's over under is lower at 42 and a half. Uh, But Brissett is only 7% rostered. So more likely you can get him and, ultimately a pretty similar play to Garoppolo. Um, and I mean, Brissett also has got, been kind of serviceable for fantasy so far this year. So I, I could see him being all right. All right. Let's try to talk us into Justin Fields or Marcus Mariota here. What do you got? I'm really intrigued with this. 
Yeah, so I, I put Fields and Mariota together again because they're very similar plays. Um, so and when I when I say that, what I mean is the only reason you want to play them is the rushing production that you can bank on. So both Fields and Mariota are averaging over seven rushing attempts per game. Uh, when we look at terms, look at it in terms of oppo, so the expected number of points that a player should get with that opportunity, uh, based on just their rushing, Fields has averaged 3.1 oppo per game this year, Mariota 2.7 oppo per game this year. So you can think of that as their floor is just three points higher than if you were to play a Matt Ryan or a Carson Wentz or a, even a Trevor Lawrence like that. There's just three additional chances for fantasy points, basically, that you can bank on. So I have field slightly above Mariota, uh, mostly because the matchup is a bit better. Uh, the commanders have allowed the seventh most yards per pass attempt to opposing offenses. They're a top 10 pass funnel. Uh, the reason that they're not a bigger pass funnel is because teams haven't been throwing on the commanders all that much, uh, mo <laughs> mostly because they've been getting ahead. I don't know that that's a concern for the bears. I mean, the bears are going to run no matter what they, <laughs> no matter what the game script is very clearly, but yeah. on whatever like handful of pass attempts that Justin Fields has, there, there's a pretty good chance that they go for some big plays. So I will lightly prefer Fields to Mariota, who is playing against the 49ers, and that, that's just a really difficult matchup. So yeah. Fields QB 16, Mariota QB 17, that, that's that's it for quarterback. And let me ask you on it. You didn't prepare for this one, so it might not be fair here, but um, any interest in, like, Zach Wilson's been okay since he's come back. In theory, there's some talent there. He's got a lot of weapons around him in the passing game. Playing Green Bay, who's been good against the pass, but they've played some really poor quarterbacks. Like, is there any thought, Zach Wilson, maybe like you can pick him up, get something out of him, and actually hang on to him a few weeks? Because in my home league, I'm in such a bad spot. And you're just looking around all these quarterbacks and you're like, well, I can play Jimmy G this week, but I'm going to drop him next week. Well, I can play Brissett, but I'm going to drop him next week. Like, do you see anything with like Zach Wilson or maybe even a Kenny Pickett, like anything there for like a couple week usage? Or should we just be playing this week by week? Yeah, I realistically, you should be playing it week by week. My issue with Zach Wilson is the Jets very clearly do not want him to be a high volume passer. I he did credit to him, he did come back and like throw the ball and actually function a couple weeks ago. Uh, but when the Jets are able to control the game script against a team like the Skylar Thompson Dolphins, yeah. it, it's pretty clear that Zach Wilson is not like a, a realistic fantasy option, right. so. Yeah, is if we're looking for someone with rest of season upside, I would go with Kenny Pickett just because we saw the Steelers let him drop back 50 times. Obviously, the game was out of hand, but the fact that they're willing to let him do that, and I, I mean, maybe we just bank on garbage time with Kenny Pickett. That, right. like, I, I, I could see Kenny Pickett having a Blake Bortles type of year for those that remember Blake Bortles yeah. in 2015, 16, or whatever it was, where he, he was a legitimate top 12 quarterback, mostly off of garbage time. And so, that if you're looking for the Bortles factor, I, I think Pickett's probably your best bet. 
Yeah, that's a great call. I, I think I want a fantasy title starting Blake Bortles at quarterback back in the, the heyday of the late round QB days. It just didn't matter back then. You just picked up any Bortles type and it would work. If they were going to throw the ball more than like 35 times, you were good. So yeah, maybe that is Kenny Pickett. I, I'll say about Zach Wilson, his numbers are also inflated because he has rushed for a touchdown and he has received a touchdown. So you look at his 20 and 14 points and that's even inflated just by those six points there. So yeah. Probably pick it as the better option, but I don't know. There's so many weapons in the Jets. It just, I'm tempted, but uh, anyway, let's move on. So we got tight end streamers to talk about here. Um, Ryan, you demanded that I talk about Kate Otten up top. Um, I'll let you start this out first. He's, he's 5% roster. This is the rookie tight end for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, tell me what you're thinking here. And then I'll, um, I'll get back to you with my response. It, I'm pounding the table for Kate Otten right now, Eric. He he just led the Buccaneers in routes this past week. Like that, that's notable. Um, and I I mean, even before Cameron Brait got injured, the Buccaneers were using their tight ends so much. Like the, their tight ends were combining for more routes than their wide receivers since week three, I believe. So there, there's something here to this. Bucks tight end role. We talk about how we just want tight ends that are running routes that are out on the field. And with Otten, I he commanded seven targets. He went the next step and actually was targeted, caught six of the seven. The Bucks have the third highest pass rate over expected through five weeks. This is going to be a pass heavy offense. What what am I missing here? How is Kate Otten not clearly what one of the better like later season tight end pickups that we could hope for. I, I mean, this is there. We're going to talk about another guy, but I, I was really happy to get Kate Otten with for less fab than the, the other elephant in the tight end room right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I actually, I just picked up Otten and Scott Fishbowl and I had Dolchik, uh, Dolchik, obviously name stash, the Broncos rookie tight end. That wasn't even close, but um, so yeah, I, I'm on board with Otten. Uh, he played 94% of the snaps um, last week when Cam Brate was out, 14% target share. I guess my worry is just, is Cam Brate healthy this week and does he come back and play? Because Brate had played 90% of the snaps in week three, his last healthy week. I believe he got that concussion week four. So it's really just a matter of health here. Like I, we see so much with tight end that it's not the players we want them to play. And it doesn't even feel like talent. Sometimes the ones who are on the field, like someone like Cam Brate will just be out there for 75% of the snaps regardless. So that's what worries me. If, if Braid is out, I, I think Otten looks like a tight end 10 through 12. I mean, that puts him in the Gerald Everett, Evan Ingram, Tyler Conklin range. I would play him over Dalton Schultz, who I just kind of don't want to risk another re-injury this week with his knee. Um, so that's where I'd have him if Braid is out. It's just, I think the discussion is, can we play him if Brait plays? And I'm just not quite there yet. Yeah, if Brait's active, I lose a lot of interest in playing him this week. But I there's the potential here that he has just surpassed Brait on the depth chart, right? Like we, it, I mean, would be very ahead of schedule for a rookie tight end yeah. to come in and do this. But it, when one of them gets seven targets and runs every single route, like I, I'm paying attention. And I, I think even like worst cases, kind of like a stash if you need a tight end in a deeper league or if you're not happy with your tight end situation which who is these days so i yeah i i think Otten is, could turn out to be a, a really re, like really intelligent pickup if you got or you can probably still get him this week he's only five percent rostered yeah. right now no he's definitely still out there um yeah and I, the more i think about it the more i'm getting on board too because 
like the rest of these tight end streamer options, it's really not even worth me mentioning much here because it's the same names we've had and they're not very, the, the ceiling's just so low. I mean, we're still, Tyler Conklin's still in the streaming range. I think he's like 30, 40% rostered. He's coming back to earth. Uh, CJ Uzoma's playing more snaps. Their passing volume's gone down. We kind of saw this coming. If you've been listening in the last few weeks, um, Evan Ingram's a streamer at 29% rostered. Like he had 10 targets last week. Him and Marvin Jones dominated targets over the middle. Like he was a legit part of that offense. So um, Ingram put up seven for 46 earlier against the Colts this year. Somehow they're already playing for the second time, Jaguars and Colts. So like those are the names that are out there every week on the wire. Stream them if you want. They probably have a higher ceiling, but I, I totally get it if you want to go out there and, and pick up Otten and kind of plan to start him. Even if Brate's in, I mean, he has more upside. So I, I'm willing to hear the discussion even if Brate does play. All right, Eric, let's talk about the elephant in this tight end room. Um, th- this is the, like, I know I'm going to get owned on this, but I- I'm just going to say that I would rather have KDOT and then Taysom Hill for the rest of the season. Um, so that that's your challenge, Taysom Hill. Prove me wrong. What, what are your thoughts on this whole situation, Eric? Um, I... Th- I think I'm caving a little bit, Ryan. I, I hate to do it. First of all, he's up to 79% rostered, which is just wonderful. He's I've got him ranked tight end nine this week. Um, so here's what makes me not completely down on Taysom Hill is that none of these tight ends have a floor, really. Like we're, we're talking about tight end nine through 15 here. Like barely any of these players have a floor regardless. So I would say that Taysom Hill has a floor of zero pretty much because he's shown it and he's not playing a lot of snaps and he's not getting catches, which is important in PPR leagues for a tight end. So I will fully acknowledge that he has no floor, but I mean, we just saw Gerald Everett last week put up what one PPR point, like that's someone right in his range. And these tight ends just really are, have been really inconsistent. So I think if we acknowledge that they all have very low floors, it's hard to not see that Hill has a big ceiling. I mean, we've obviously seen it. Um, he's used around the goal line to some extent, although you might prove me wrong on that one. But you also couple that with Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, and Chris Olave all did not practice Wednesday. So I don't know who's going to get the ball other than Alvin Kamara and Taysom Hill, but he's certainly got to be in the game plan. So it's really just tight end is so disgusting that it doesn't take much for me to get him to tight end nine and that's kind of where I'm at on uh, on Wednesday evening of the year 2020, uh, October 12th. Okay, so the, the bridge <laughs> I will build with you here is, I yes, as far as all of the Saints skill position players being out, then yeah. I can see it because I like, and I mean, this is kind of what the Saints have been saying since Sunday is, yeah, like he's clearly one of our most dynamic players. Like we're going to keep trying to get him the ball. So Looking forward speculatively, maybe Taysom Hill has a bigger role than he has had through five games. And that, that's what you're banking on if you're gonna even if you're gonna rank him at tight end nine, in my opinion. That that's what you need. You you are projecting his role to grow because his role so far this year has not been good for fantasy. He's had 3.8 oppo per game this entire season. Uh, the expected touchdown model would would have him at about 0.8 of a touchdown, so less than one, where he actually has 13.5 fantasy points per game and five rushing touchdowns, not even counting the passing touchdown. Like, th- this is insanely yeah. unsustainable. Like, it, it's not even funny. And it if 
look, if Taysom was like the goal line hammer, he was the goal line back essentially, then I could maybe get on board with your thesis of, well, no tight end has a floor. At least Taysom has a ceiling. I don't know that the ceiling is actually that good. He only has four touches inside the red zone all year and only one inside the five yard line. So it it's not as if he is just this red zone weapon that the saints are scheming up extremely well-designed plays for. And he, no, he just ran all over the Seattle Seahawks. That, that's I'm sorry that that's where I'm at on Taysom Hill. I, this is the exact player that I, take this really strong stance on and get owned. And I I know it's coming, but I can't like we went going back to the conversation. We opened the podcast with about process. Mm -hmm. I'm stubbornly sticking to it right now. I, there will need to be a good amount of evidence to get me to change here. I mean, I'm right there with you. Like the more I look into statistics here, like his highest single game target share was 3.1%. Um, he's he, he saw the third most snaps among Saints tight ends. Like, I mean, there are two tight ends ahead of him. Uh, he's not a tight end. I mean, we all know this. It's it's kind of crazy that he's listed as a tight end. He should be a running back, I suppose. Um, fullback, I don't know what you call him. But, man, I don't know. It's it's I know it's kind of – it's chasing the points. It's, it's box score scouting. I, there are – I mean, he's had two top five tight end weeks, and I know it's it's improbable, but – I don't know. The rest of tight end is just so gross. I mean, he was what tight end. I mean, it, it takes like eight points to become a, a startable tight end. Like you're talking a touchdown there. So I guess it is a valid point that he is not seeing the goal line work that we think he is. That's probably the biggest knock that you can say on Taysom Hill is that he's lucky to score these touchdowns because really that's all we're chasing a tight end anyway is touchdowns. Yeah. And this isn't even like a dynamic offense. Like I, no. if you're asking me who's more likely to score a touchdown in a given week, I would, I would lean Kate Otten. He's on the box. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it, I don't know that. Yeah. I won't get on board with Taysom Hill. I'm sorry. I have, are we circling the drain here? Is do you have anything else to add before we move on to defense? I, I think we pretty much are, but I mean, so would you rank him like tight end 16? Like you putting Hunter Henry even above him? Like how down on him are you? Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. See, this is he's what just, he's just a blind spot for you. You just, can't yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know, even know if I can really rank him. Um, who, who do I compare him to? Yeah. So there's Robert Tunyon that you have at tight end 14. Yeah. Tight ends uglier than I even thought it it's was. Bad. Uh, Henry at 15, Irv Smith at 16. I, Will Disley at 17. Yeah, I I think he mixes in there pro- yeah. somewhere between Hunter Henry and Will Disley. If I, yeah, and even that is bullish on him from like my processes standpoint. Like that, even that's ranking him higher than I feel I probably should, but just kind yeah. of a- acquiescing to the crowd <laughs> there. Yeah, and we, I have uh, Pat Fryermuth and Kyle Pitts out of my rankings right now, but we're getting some encouraging words on Pitts. So, all these ranks could shift down by two. So I do think it's worth noting that our range we're putting Taysom Hill in, uh, it's probably like the 11 through 16 range. And I, even though I'm kind of higher on him than you are, I think there are going to be some shows out there that rank him tight end five this week. So uh, we are, I think, significantly lower. It's just a matter of how low do you want to go. And I think once you get to that point of the tight end rankings anyway, you're, you're weighing upside versus safety. And it's kind of how you want to build your team at that point. Yeah, I so I have my 
I don't know why my brain just went here. So if other shows and other sites are ranking him as like the tight end five, isn't that an incredible opportunity for us to rank like 40 tight ends this week, put him at the very bottom and j- just soak up all of those points in like the fantasy pros accuracy contest. Yeah. I, I, I'm not one to care about or think about trying to game it, but that I feel like that is the best opportunity you're going to get, right? Yeah. Like there's such an overwhelming likelihood that he scores zero points this week. Uh, it, it would, that would be something. Uh, he had one point in uh, week two, so maybe that can happen again. So we will see. So, all right, that's enough Taysom Hill talk here. Um, let's get a quick defensive streamers section. Um, shout out to Michael James. He's been doing a good job on our weekly defensive streamer article. So please check that out if you have not already, but did you have anyone that stands out, Ryan? I mean, it's, it's really hard for your eyes to make it past Washington commanders against the bears on Thursday night football. I think probably both sides you can make an argument for. So are we just looking at Thursday night football first? Yeah, you, this is definitely where you look first and it's, a rare instance where I will probably want to play the underdog defense over the favored defense. I, I think it's the spread is like half a point or something. It's essentially a pick em. Mm-hmm. Uh But the, I should have mentioned this when we were talking about Justin Fields as a streamer. He's probably going to get sacked like 10 times this weekend. Like he's yeah. been averaging a sack on like one in every five dropbacks almost this year. Like it, there's... Justin Fields gets sacked a lot. Uh, the commanders have a real pass rush where it, he's probably going to be on the ground quite a bit. The, yeah, the commanders are clearly a great play. And then, I i mean, the Bears, they're favored in a 38 over under point game. That I, That's kind of all you need to know, I think. I mean, the Bears defense has also been serviceable. Carson Wentz, if you can get him into a negative game script, that there, there's a lot of upside for fantasy defenses facing him there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I don't even know if we need to go beyond those 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 two teams because they uh the commanders are fairly available. They're only three percent rostered on Yahoo right now. Yeah, I mean I, those are those are the primary targets. You could you could go with the Browns against the Patriots, but uh that Browns defense has been pretty bad lately. Um, that's one that's in play. You could play the Chargers at home against the Broncos, Colts against the Jaguars, but I, I do think I would look to that Thursday night matchup. I somehow got the Rams defense against the Panthers in a league. I was pretty thrilled with that, but a lot of those defenses are up in the 80%, 90% rostered at this point in the week. So, yeah, I think I'm looking at Thursday night as well. Yeah, um, I'm hesitant on the Browns just because I – don't think that if Bailey Zappi starts, I don't think the game plan is going to be mistake prone at all. Like the, as I, I think I said this last week, the Patriots would much rather lose 20 to three with no turnovers than win. Like, I don't know what's a random score 31 to 30 with four turnovers that just how this team and this offense is put together. So I, yeah, I, think the Browns are probably fine from a floor process perspective. I mean, they're favored. Um, it's not an explosive offense or anything, but yeah, they very clearly prefer the Thursday night teams. Yep. And I made one last one. Uh, the Bengals are a sneaky one, 30% rostered. They are on the road, but it's against the saints. And uh, we we've talked about all their injuries here. So not a lot of weapons in new Orleans. The Bengals defense has been holding teams to 20 or less points every game. So uh, they just need a few more sacks, maybe a, a defensive touchdown, but I think that's going to be a really nice floor defense as well. It's just, I'm not sure. They haven't shown us the ceiling quite yet, but maybe they get there um, against the Saints. Yeah, the unstoppable force of Taysom Hill will 
run up against the immovable Bengals defense. I yeah. can't cannot wait, Eric. It's either going to be a uh, an Andy Dalton revenge game or uh, Jameis Winston is kind of trending towards playing. So either are in play. So uh, those are both good things for a fantasy defense. Yeah, yeah, I think you can talk yourself into it either way there. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the, the real big storyline is uh, it's Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase homecoming to New Orleans. So that's going to be a fun game, actually. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully we can take care of the Saints. So, All right, Ryan, I don't know about you, um, but I think that pretty much wraps it up for this week. Um, it's been another good one. Please check out the Sit Start article for every single fantasy relevant player covered. We're working on it right now. We'll have it out Thursday morning. Uh, join us um, on our fantasy football on Reddit. If you want to have some discussion, uh, send us messages on Twitter, wherever you can find us. Um, we're happy to help. So hope you all pull out a win this week. We will be with you Sunday night for the What We Saw podcast. But uh, until then, yeah, enjoy some more football. Bye.